Thank you, Ethan. Well, good morning, Reliance. I can't tell you how um, refreshing it is to sing with you, um, how encouraged uh, I am to see you. Um, eight years is any way or anywhere where God allows a church to exist is God's grace to a people. And uh, I remember eight years ago when we met at Barracuda Coffee Shop and it was just me and Adam and our families and a couple other individuals and walking across this parking lot one afternoon thinking like, Lord, where are, where's our family? And uh, over the last eight years, it's been overwhelming to see God's faithfulness. Uh, Brandon and Lisa right now are, you know, we've sent them off to go uh, not that we don't, we didn't love them, but we sent them because we loved them to go into the mission field. And it was a couple of weeks ago she texted us that their experience here with you has been very rare with those who are being trained right now in their church experience. And their hearts, after being away, have been deepened. And those who are serving to go on the mission field, who they've been living with for the last month and a half, have become, I don't know if I can say this, but, or like, but not jealous, but long for it themselves. And so, with that all said, I, I could thank Adam for coming with his family, never even heard me preach once. I could thank Greg for bringing his family. I could thank the elders who have served over the last eight years. Um, but I think, I think it'd be appropriate. There's been many nights at the dinner table where Beth will look at me and I will be thinking of you. Sometimes in ministry you, you do things and uh, you go home and our love for people doesn't stop when we go home. Kim has seen that face in Adam. Becky has seen that in Dave. Linda has seen that face in Gary. Meredith has seen that in Brian's face. Katie, if not, has not already seen it in Greg's face. He will save it, or she will see it. Danielle, who serves in ministry here now with the kids' ministry, she experiences the weight of ministry. If there was anything, I think it would be wise if you could, in honor in being the wives who support those who are doing ministry and are doing ministry, would you just honor them with me today for their sacrifice, would you? Those women, if you, other women, I could go on the list of how many women who serve this church, but you guys have nurtured this family well, and I would say continue, be faithful. And uh, I think we have been given a credible opportunity, or it's just the love of Christ who has allowed us to experience a deep union with one another. And we were sitting out on the, pack, on the porch the other night, and Beth asked me, what do you hope for the next year? And I said steadfastness. It's kind of been a theme I noticed through the service, Greg. We didn't talk about that, but um, I long for that for you. I long that whatever wave might come within this world, that you would be steadfast. I think of the words of uh, Jesus as he was encouraging his disciples. He says, do not be frightened. And he goes on to say these horrific things. He says, many are going to be misled. Many will come in my name and I will, and saying, I am he, and they'll try to persuade them away. 
When you hear wars and disturbances, do not be terrified. For these things must take place. But the end does not follow immediately. And so he continued on to teach them. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Great earthquakes. Various plagues. Famines. Terrors. Significant signs from heaven. And in all this he pleads or he teaches and instructs his followers to be steadfast. That is what I long for you. I long for you to be built on the rock. And so when the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against the house, it did not fall. Everyone who hears these words of mine does not act on them and does not act them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. My prayer for you, eight years is a great thing to celebrate. Um, but I pray for you that steadfast and faithfulness. And here in a few minutes, we're going to have eight baptisms. And I pray that those who have made their, their response to Christ, and that they will remember today. That the world will throw many things at you, but there is one thing to stand upon, which is Christ. And one thing to hope in, which is Christ. For if there's anything or anyone who could change the, um, the current situation that we see, it's Christ. And we long for his return. All we pray for his return be soon. And so it is a great joy to be able to see eight people, whether it be an adult or a child. That is God's grace being expressed to us, of God being faithful once again to us. And so we'll celebrate with that. And so with that, I wanted to stop this morning. I know I've already preached on Romans 8. And so over the last two months, you know, it has been my ambition not to rush through Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, I wanted to be, uh, it's just rare opportunities that many times that many churches actually won't preach on these texts because they're difficult and they're hard, they're doctrinal. But I want to emphasize on this unique day that we have come to realize something as a result of studying God's word. We know this as Romans 8.28, as we will witness again today. We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. No one, no one, whether it be a Jew, whether it be a Gentile, whether it be a four-year-old or a 95-year-old stumbles upon to the gospel. We have come over the last nine, chapters 9, 10, and 11, to realize and to know that when one responds to the gospel is a direct result of the faithfulness and the call of God, and you get to witness it today, once again. And so with the time permitted to me this morning, I would like to speak directly to the eight individuals who will be getting baptized this morning, to remind you, you didn't stumble across this confession of faith. It's the result of God's faithfulness towards you. Before the foundations of the world, he sought out for you. Not the result of your work, but the result of God's grace. He has drawn you to himself. And we have come to realize this over chapters 9, 10, and 11. And so we know in Romans 9.10, he has said, It does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs, 
but on God who has mercy. And so we will see eight signs of God's mercy this morning once again. And we know that God is merciful and he is just, just as he says in Romans 9.18. It's he who has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. We get to witness again this morning his mercy. And for those of us, we'll get to witness eight people, but we'll also get to remember ourselves. Like baptism is a unique opportunity because it reminds us of what God has done for ourselves. When we went to get baptized, back in my day, here we go, we didn't get heated pools. But the reality is, is even now, the public profession of faith, even whether it's more sophisticated, is a measure of God's grace. And when witnessed before a brother and sister, but beloved before the church, we rejoice that God has not stopped extending his mercy, even in the city of Tri-Cities. And we know that the result of what we will witness again today and be remembered in our own minds of what we once confessed. As Romans 9, 24 says, Even us, whom he also called, Not from among Jews only, but praise the Lord, but also from among Gentiles. No one stumbles upon the gospel. It is the direct result of God's faithfulness and grace. And so as we read this morning, you can see, you should be, if you've been sitting with us for the last several months, you can recognize what Paul declares. We know, as Romans 8.28 says, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, and those whom he predestined, here's your promise, he has called. And those whom he has called, he has also justified. And those whom he has justified, he also glorified. Paul knew this personally, as we've said this often in the letter of Romans, himself. For he set himself against the church. He set himself against the Lord. His reputation preceded him. He would often drag those who confessed Christ within the church, even a setting like this, to be taken off to the court and be jailed. But at the right time, at the appointed time, in the appointed place, God showed up. Acts chapter 6, if you remember with me, not 6, 9, it happened. And on the way to Damascus, God showed up. And I could. I thought about it. It's preparing to witness those who get to be baptized today. Go through Paul's conversion. To remind you and remind ourselves that no one stumbles upon the gospel. Those who respond to the gospel are purely the result of God's faithfulness and grace. But I decided to do a different story. For we know that Paul was one who was called, and Ananias himself could not put his mind around it. It was so shocking. In Acts 9, 15 through 16, the Lord said, Ananias, I need you to go to Paul, because I have saved him. And Ananias was like, he kills Christians. I hear what the Lord has said. The Lord said to him, Ananias, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. 
to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. It could be argued that the letter of Romans, why it emphasizes the choice of God in salvation is the direct result of Paul's personal experience. This is unique to Paul. God showed up and called him, but this is the result of how God has always done this. Often before Acts 9, we often remember Paul's conversion, but there's a conversion before Paul's conversion in the story of Acts. And it's the first story of a Gentile being saved, an Ethiopian man who knew little of God, but was concerned about his relationship with God. And in this story that I want to spend our time, and for those of you who are getting baptized, I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this. I want you to weigh it in your mind. You were saved because God was being faithful to you. You did not stumble upon this yourself. Paul knows this. The Ethiopian knows it himself as well. And so instead of once again looking at Paul, I want to spend our time just Looking at this Ethiopian, it's interesting that he is not named, I think, primarily to stress the weight of this Gentile individual. He's not a Jew who's being saved, but the power of the gospel is both for the Jew and the Gentile. And see, as we look at this story, how committed the Lord is to save this Ethiopian, how much God was involved in the excuse me, in the process of saving this Ethiopian just in the same way as Paul experienced the grace of God. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to read it and see it with me. If you are getting baptized, I want you to witness and read it with me so that you might see what God has done for you as well. Acts chapter 8. You're going to witness God's faithfulness because when Philip, if you're familiar with the letter of Acts, things are happening rather rapidly. Acts chapter 8, you have something happening as a result of persecution. Acts chapter 7, Stephen was stoned for preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. And there was a great persecution, forced the Christians to flee for their lives. And as they were making their way out of Jerusalem, many went to Samaria. And Philip ends up going to Samaria. And as he's in Samaria, he's preaching the gospel. And as a result of his faithfulness to go wherever God might send him in his flight, he preached the gospel and many were being saved. You can read this in Acts chapter 12. But when they believed, Philip preaching the gospel, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. The apostles themselves were quite amazed that Samaritans were responding to the gospel. So Peter himself goes up with another apostle to, to witness this reality. And as things are going well and people are responding to the, goal, the gospel in number, we see the disciples rejoice and return back to Jerusalem, which introduces this unique situation. It's like in the, in, in the movement of success of the gospel going forth, the gospel stops to reach this one man alone on a dirt road. In American culture, we like success. And you'll see this in the ministry of gospel or with ministry of Christ. The crowns are following him. In, in our eyes, it's successful. But Jesus stops in the midst of all the success. And where does he go? Across the sea. To meet a demon-possessed man 
whom nobody else will even want to be around. This is the amazing part of the gospel. Here in Samaria, Philip, everything is exciting. People are responding to the gospel, but there's a man that you must go see. And he's not with the crowds. He's by himself. And this is where we see the sovereignty of God in saving those he has chosen. Look with me at verse 25. Apostles are excited. And so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. And they were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But all of a sudden, there's this contrast of movement. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip and said, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Side note, this is the desert road. What's this mean? Think of Tri-Cities 100 years ago. If you remember 100 years ago, well, I don't know, I, was, I wasn't here, you, I can't remember. So as I have heard, before 1940, this place had a roughly around 2,000 people. The president was looking for a place to, put, to work out the Manhattan Project. He was looking, as he quotes, a desolate location. And as a result of this, Tri-Cities rose to the top. <laughs> At that point, as I have heard from you, many of you, even West Richland was a place where it was a desert place. Out of nowhere, out in the middle of nowhere. And Philip, who's having an opportunity to see people respond to the gospel, God says, get up and go to that dirt road. Why? Like, there's ministry happening here. There's people who are responding to the gospel. There's one that I'm called. There's one I'm choosing on a dirt road. You'll notice if you read it, the conflict, or the, just the amazement of the, the things that happen. And as you've, what I think is so fascinating about reading this story is I hear Romans in it. Like, how is it that this Ethiopian man is going to be saved? Well, as we've already learned in the letter of Romans, there needs to be one who is sent. For behold, who will respond to the gospel unless they hear? And God designs to go reach this Ethiopian, the first Gentile, with Philip. And look what happens, verse 27. So he got up. So I don't know if I would have done that. The desert road, Lord? Yes, the desert road. Okay, I'll get up and go. And he went. And there, behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch. Look at the layers that Luke says to describe this man. He's an Ethiopian eunuch, a court of the official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting his, in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. He had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. And Luke in these two chapters signifies that this is a prominent individual. We are in a time in which we recognize that we all have the ability to have a Bible. This Ethiopian is unique. Even then, I remember looking and learning that the Old Testament was often written on parchments. Literally, you carried it like this. And the fact that this individual has the book of Isaiah shows a deep desire to know God. And here he is, out of the middle of nowhere, reading Isaiah. Because the normal Jew, the normal Jew didn't have the text. They went to the synagogue to hear the text. And yet you hear of this man, behold, crazy situation, this eunuch, 
this Ethiopian man who has significant resource sitting in his chariot reading the prophet of Isaiah. How in the world does that happen? Only by the grace of God. In verse 29, because God is faithful to send individuals to redeem those whom he has called. Verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Well, desert roads are not known for their popularity. I think it might be a little, I would be a little hesitant to run along this man. But Philip, led by the Spirit, once again, does it? So, 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 such a convicting passage because even we recognize at times in our lives where I need you to speak the gospel now, speak much of Christ now, and there's this hesitance or this delay that we have in American culture of fear of conflict. Parents who are baptizing your children today, thank you for being faithful to proclaim the gospel at the right appointed time when God opened their hearts. And being faithful, sometimes it happens in a moment, and sometimes it takes a long process of steady prayer and steady clarification to get to the point where they realize there is no other hope but Christ. If you're a high schooler, whether you are a high schooler and you're in your college or young adult life, or even more further that, you're established. The result of coming to know Christ is the result of someone speaking the gospel and being willing to take that step. Philip doesn't know this Ethiopian. He's a Gentile. From their perspective, far from God. But he's got the book of Isaiah and he's reading it. So Philip, verse 3, out of obedience, he runs up. He heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how can I? How could I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The scriptures can be read, people can be religious. But is it not interesting? That God has stewarded the gospel to his people. For a people who are trying to discern who God is. We often get concerned whether we're going to offend. But might it be possible that you have been sent to tri-cities for a reason? There's many other locations that God could have raised you up. And here, Philip, being faithful to go where God has sent him, he's willing to recognize that he is the sent by God to be the, the answer for this individual's questions about God. And we've already come to realize this in Romans. As Romans says in 10.18, I surely say they have never heard, some might say. Indeed, they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Every single day, as Paul quotes us in Romans, every single day when a person wakes up and goes outside, creation testifies to them, there is a God. And the whole world every day comes into conflict with that proclamation. 
And there is this weight upon all society. How will we be right with them? How could we possibly be right? And some will go to great lengths to numb that proclamation they experience every single day. And Philip finds an individual by the grace of God whom he has been sent to with an individual that's ready to hear about the one who saves. And look what he's reading. There have been moments in my own life where it's almost like the, the stage has been set and all that needs there needs to be is an individual that just says that how it is. There's no apologetics here for Philip. It's straight out of the situation that God has set up. Look at verse 32. What is he reading? Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to a slaughter. And as a lamb before it shears it silent. So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. He's reading messianic promises. And look at his question in verse 34. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom, not what, whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? And here is reliance. The opportunity of how the gospel is proclaimed and received. Then Philip opened his mouth. Peter here in, a few, in the next chapter, he's going to go before Cornelius, who's another Gentile. And when he sees the openness to, for them to respond to the gospel, it says, and he opened his mouth. I became a Christian Because on the appointed day, God sent my mother. And at the appointed day, because I had, it was the one time I did something wrong at four years old. (laughs) But at the appointed time, my mother said, Jacob, do you know that the consequence of sin is death? And that those who fall short of the glory of God will experience the wrath of God. And that did terrify a four-year-old. But then she went on to say, but God has demonstrated his love towards you. And she opened her mouth and spoke Christ to me. And in that moment, as a four-year-old, I thought to myself, this is the greatest gig in the whole world. That the God in the heavens is going to forgive my sins and give me as a result of Christ's sacrifice and atonement. How does a four-year-old think like this? As a result of her faithfulness to open her mouth to a four-year-old, I said, Lord, if this is true, I'll give you the rest of my life. And many of you have come to that same conviction. And this is the result of, just like Philip, opened his mouth. And look what he spoke about. He spoke about Christ. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, Isaiah, that he was reading, he preached Jesus to him. For Jesus, 
was the one who was slaughtered for our sins. He was the lamb led to its shear and remained silent. He did not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And he has been the result of his faithfulness, our salvation. And in that moment, Philip gives this Ethiopian man the key to salvation. And look at his response. I've been here. And someday I hope that you will as well, being faithful. I've sat before individuals. I tell them, do you know you're a sinner? Yes. Do you know that your only hope for, the, for being able to escape the wrath of God is found in Christ's death for you? Yes. And I've heard the words, what must I do? And I'm sitting there thinking, well, where's, you don't want any apologetics? You don't want to hear any more? Well, how does an individual get there? The preparation that God, when he calls he saves, and he is the one that opens the heart to receive him. There are times when apologetics will be necessary, and that might be part of the process, but here it is. Philip gets Jesus, and as a result of this, look what happens in verse 36. As they went away, and they went along the road, they came upon some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And as a result of this, Philip, welcome guys. Philip goes down to the river, takes this Ethiopian man, and look at what happens in verse 39. When they came out, out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. That's pretty cool. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went away on his way rejoicing. Some of you might be familiar with this story, and some of you might be hearing it for the first time. But how did the Ethiopian man get saved? You see a willing participant in Philip, but you have the heavy hand of God all along the way, saving and preparing and setting up the stage for this individual to respond to the gospel. And so as a result of God's faithfulness, this man responds to Christ. So with that all said, we've asked the children to be a part of this baptismal witness. Because it is a decision that an individual makes, and some of the decisions that are being made this morning are of our children. By which I would remind you, any child, whether 4 or 94, comes to respond to the gospel, how? How? By the grace of God. And Philip experienced this in the Ethiopian man, the first Gentile to be saved. Paul experienced this himself. And so when we read in Romans 8... What we get to observe this morning, on a great morning, it is the continued work of God saving humanity. And so Romans 8, 28, it says this. And as we've already heard and read together. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called, to those who are called according to his purposes. And so I remind you, if you're making that confession of faith for yourself and you're getting baptized this morning, do not think too highly of yourself. It's a result of God's grace towards you. 
And as we witness it this morning, remember for those of us who have been baptized, God saved you. He set up the stage for you to receive him. And in that moment, someone spoke the hope of Christ. And as a result of hearing the marvelous good news of God, you responded and your heart was awakened to him. And so this next step is a form of worship as we see those proclaim the hope that they have in Christ. And so with that said, would you pray with me and for them? Lord, I know that uh, public profession of faith, it is good to do, especially among the beloved. And Lord, it seems at times it's getting harder and harder to, to, to declare that Jesus is Lord in the midst of the world we live. Lord, thank you that we get to witness your grace in individuals that are ready to say there is no other hope but Jesus Christ. Lord, we recognize as we've gone through Romans that the means by which Paul was saved because it was due directly by God's grace and God's grace alone. For if it was left up to the wisdom of man, we would not have gone, as Philip did, to the desert road to reach one Ethiopian man. And as the early church goes on to proclaim, this Ethiopian man became the missionary to those people. We recognize that God has raised up fathers and mothers to steward the gospel, employees to steward the gospel in their workplaces, teachers to steward the gospel within the classroom, leaders within our community to steward the gospel in the light of the responsibilities placed in this city. Lord, I pray that when you work, When we see the moment set up, just like you did with Philip and the Ethiopian, we would be a people that are faithful to open our mouth and present Christ to them, knowing that you have not stopped reaching people for you, which we get to witness again and be reminded of that you are still saving humanity for yourself. And Lord, let us be a day of rejoicing, for you are good and saving those to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Invite Adam up.